All right. Turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 17. While you're turning there, hi. While you're turning there, um, just allow me, because this is week three, and I know I did it last week, but for those who weren't here the last couple weeks or maybe missed a week, just allow me to just kind of summarize what we've been talking about in this series, God and Us. The most quoted verse used during Christmas time is Isaiah 7:14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And when I started writing down that, okay, that's the Christmas series, that's what we're going to do, simple, classic, uh, God started birthing within me a curiosity for the two different ways I've seen the word Emmanuel spelled. I-M-M-A-N-U-E-L, and sometimes E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L. And I'm like, what's the difference? So I went back to the original Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in, and looked up the word Emmanuel, I-M-M-A-N-U-E-L. And then I went to the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, and looked up what E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L what that meant. And what I found out and what I discovered and what I believe the Holy Spirit unveiled to me was an interesting fact that in the Old Testament, the prefix I am means with, the subject being man, and the suffix U-E-L means the desire and the will of God. So to look at Emmanuel, I-M-M-A-N-U-E-L, in the Old Testament Hebrew definition would really state it is God's desire and his will to be with man. So then I did the same thing with Emmanuel in the New Testament, E-M, and broke that word up and looked at it. And in the Greek, E-M means in. So again, man and again, U-E-L, the desire and will of God. So in the Greek, the New Testament clear definition of Emmanuel would be the desire and will of God is to be in man. Look at that again, the Old Testament, the desire in God to be with man. The New Testament, the desire and will to be in man. The separation between the two is that God had to become man. So then he went from just being with us to then being in us. So next week on Christmas Eve, (laughs) next week is Christmas Eve. Again, just a reminder, one service, 10 a.m., be early because you want to greet any guests that we have and give them the prime seating and the prime parking. So if you want to, okay, that was just an announcement. Anyway, so next week we will be discussing God became us on Christmas Eve. So the first week what I did is I simply laid a foundation because if you don't understand your relationship with God, who God is to you, God with us, God in us, even God became us is somebody else's relationship and you're just hearing it. You're just a bystander. You're just part of the audience. What needs to change and the foundation that needs to be laid in you is who is God to you? Has God became your God? Remember, with the Old Testament, it didn't go away. It didn't get erased. It wasn't destroyed or replaced with the New Testament. It was the foundation upon which the New Testament was built. 
God is the master builder, right? The master architect. Do you think an architect would draw the foundation and say, okay, now I'm ready to put in the windows and the walls and the roofs so I have to destroy the foundation to then go to build? No. He builds upon. So line upon line, precept upon precept. You cannot understand, grasp, fathom God with us, God in us, or God became us until you lay a foundation of who God is to you. So that's what I did the first week as we just laid a foundation. Last week, Pastor Neil shared Emmanuel, God with us. And he took us from Genesis to Revelation, just showing scripture after scripture, promise after promise that God is with us. And even in Exodus 3, when he called Moses to lead his people into the promised land, Moses, like many of us, yelled out to God, Me? Who? Am I that you would call me? And God's answer is his answer for us today. You want to know who you are? You are with me. I am with you. That's who you are. The same promise. God's desire and his will is to be with you. You were created to be with God. You were created to walk with God. The whole purpose of your life is to be with God. So this week, I'm going to focus on God in us. This is week three of God in us, and we're going to discuss God in us. So how is God in us? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples? Of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Believers are the temples of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God. Bill Johnson said in the Old Testament that the temple was a fixed position, it didn't get up and change geographies. Now, because of the redemptive work of Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God has become mobile. We now carry the glory that remains stationary in the temple. This is what we need to remember. We are the temple of God. We can bring God to those who aren't necessarily looking for him. You don't have to wait till they go and find God in a church. You carry the Spirit of God with you. It's an amazing thing to think that we carry the very presence, the glory cloud that filled the temple with us. Mobile. All right. By now you should already be in John. I guess I should have taken the time to turn to John chapter 17. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed. He's in the garden. He's praying. And right in verse 20, he starts praying for us. And just so you, you know, when somebody says, Hey, Pastor, I've been praying for you. I'm like, that's nice. So what were you praying? I want details, baby. Details. I don't want to just hear you as praying for me. I want to know what you was praying for me. Right? Don't you? Come on, tell me what. Jesus laid out what he prayed for you and I. 
And it says in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples that was with him. Because right before this, he was praying for his disciples. But my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Now we get to hear what Jesus was praying for us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Twice he says, you want to know how the world's going to know about Jesus? You want to know how the world's going to know that God loves them? You! God in you! His Holy Spirit in you, taking the temple of God right to them. Because all of us come together and make one. That's complete, he says. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in us then becomes one with God. That's how the world will know. So what the Holy Spirit Well, before I tell you what the Holy Spirit is, or what the Holy Spirit does, let me first tell you what the Holy Spirit is not. Because I think too many times, too many Christians over too much time has complicated the Holy Spirit and has creeped us all out. (laughs) That we're some kind of holy rollers and swinging from chandeliers and, well, we don't have chandeliers. I have... We have fans. If you want to swing from the ceiling fans, I'm game. I want to see that. Go ahead. I'm very adventurous. I want to see you risk your neck. Oh, no, not mine. Yours. Holy roll. You know, you heard it all before. Oh, you're snake handlers. I don't like snakes. No. You know, and yeah, not spiders. I don't even like no but People... And I hate to say, it's not even, sometimes it's the people right in the church that just make the Holy Spirit such a freaky thing that people step back and say, yeah, I can do without that. Right? You're all laughing because you've heard it before. You've seen it before. You've probably prayed it before. God, don't let me act like sister so-and-so. Please, Lord, whatever you do. Take me as far as you want, God, but I don't want to look like that person. Now, let me just say what the Holy Spirit is not. First thing, the Holy Spirit is not some mysterious presence that kind of floats around like the, what is that ghost on the, the yes, yeah, Casper the friendly ghost. Yeah, he's not Casper the friendly ghost. He's not some mysterious presence. Ooh, is the Holy Spirit here or not? I don't know. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. A person. And we treat him like he's an unwanted dinner guest or a a nice cozy feeling or a happy thought now and then that flutters in and out of our life. No, he's God. 
He's one in three. It says the Trinity, that it, you know, I had it explained to me like this years ago, which I thought was really cool. I don't know, sometimes, sometimes I have to childlike down God's, you know, give me it in bite-sized chunks, God. And it was like the whole water, you know, how they're H2O, you know, how it can be in water form, liquid pourable, it can be in ice form, or it can be in vapor form. But they're all H2O. That's the same thing with God in the, in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit isn't some separate thing, mysterious thing. No, it's God. It's God's Spirit. And this, remember, is God in you. God in you. I, I, how, let me explain it this way. Boy falls in love with girl. Boy tries to explain to girl, I love you, baby. I love you so much. I wish I could be with you all the time. Every second of every minute of every day, I just want to. And she's like, mm-hmm. Right? And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, I know how I can be. And he reaches inside of himself, pulls out his heart, and puts it in her. And now she goes, oh, I understand now. I actually feel how much you love me. I, I actually can, I, I can know, I know your thoughts you have toward me. I, I can feel it inside me. It's the same thing God did when he took up his spirit and he pours it in you. Then all of a sudden you walk around and you're like, oh, I can feel how much God loves me. And it almost sounds ridiculous, you know? Because really, do you walk around, I love my, besides Aaron, do you walk around yourself, I love myself, I love myself, right? Do you? No. I remember when I was, when I gave my heart fully back to the Lord and I moved back in with my parents, sleeping on the couch and I would stay as long as I can up and kneeling on the, at the couch and praying, you know, God, and it was always, forgive me for all the junk. But I remember one night, real distinctively, I just heard, I didn't realize it was the Holy Spirit, but something inside me just says, I love you. Say it. Say, I love you. And I'm like, I love you, God. No. He says, say, I love you. And I really had to try to start understanding how much God, and I was like, oh, you know, it was like that heart placed inside me. I was like, oh. I understand how much God loves me. That's what he does. It's not mysterious. Ooh, Holy Spirit. You know? It's his spirit in you. God in you. God in you. The Holy Spirit is not a power that will make you do strange things. Again, God doesn't make you do anything. If he wanted to make you do stuff, he would have made robots. But he didn't. He made you in his image. He gave you a will. He gave you choice. Now what the Holy Spirit will do in you is he will prompt you. He'll direct you. He'll lead you. Kind of like an umpire. He'll, he'll let you know, hey, buddy, we're kind of going left here. You know, you got to go back this way. Don't do that. Don't, that wasn't good. You shouldn't have... That, uh, oh. He directs. He might urge you or uh, um, encourage you. Hey, um, go back into that gas station 
and that attendant that was working, tell them this one word. Now, who has the choice? You do, on whether or not you walk back in that gas station and say, you know, thank God was wanting me to tell you. Otherwise, it would be like, go back in there. <laughs> right? Or grab you by the <laughs> Could you imagine God's children giving glory to God by seeing a bunch of his kids being drugged? Now God told me to tell you. You know? No, it's choice. He's not going to make you do something. But have you ever heard a prophecy and it sounds like God's mad at you? You heard a word that somebody shared, you know, in a congregation or whatever, and it was like, why was God yelling at me today? Well, the Bible says that the prophecy is subject to the prophet. It, you have the choice. How you say it, it is, comes out of your vessel, right? So that person might have had a bad day. <laughs> and they're trying to just, you know, declare loudly what God's saying, but it's sounding like, are you mad at me, God? You know? But again, it's subject. They're not being made to say that. They're being unctioned. They're being urged. I have a word for God. I mean, I did that. I sat here Wednesday night at prayer meeting, and I kept feeling like God wanted me to share this word. And I'm like, I think that's just me. But it kept coming, kept coming, and it would only come like, you know how you'd like to read the whole story before you say, oh yeah, that's good, now I'll share it, you know? When God gives you a word, he gives you like the first three words, and it's like, okay, am I going to sound like a fool after that third word? Am I just going to... But I had a choice to make. Am I going to... And I'm like, God, I trust you. I think... And I didn't. I, I'm like, I think God is saying... And I started to say it, and then the words just started rolling out of my mouth. And, you know, it's the same thing. But he's not going to make you do something. He's not going to make you roll up and down the... But, again, if somebody feels that urge, like I feel like I should, you know, lay on my face and, and cry, that's between them and God, you know? And really, if a little kid was doing that, wouldn't you think that that was cute? And aren't we supposed to look at each other as brothers and sisters, children of God? So whether they dance or run or what was Sally, you know, running with flags, that's between her and God. If you look and point, aren't you just like Micah who laughed and pointed at David, her husband? Said, look in him out there in his underwear dancing before all them girls. And then she got in his face when he came back home. Remember that? Look at the king is dancing like that. And God made her barren just like that. No more kids. All done. You know Why? Because she judged what somebody else was doing before God. It wasn't hers. So what is... So, okay, wait a minute. Before I go on, let me just throw this in here. Um, speaking in tongues, people have thought, oh, that's too freakish. That's, you know. Or have you heard people say, you need to get the, you know... Speaking in tongues, that's what it's all about. It's all about speaking in tongues, speaking in Well, speaking in tongues simply means an unknown language. Actually, in the old uh, church, in the new, way back, that's how they called their missionaries. They'd get filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, they would start speaking in a, in a different language. And somebody would say, um, that's an African tongue. You're called to 
be a missionary in Africa. Now, you, here you go. Here's the money. Go. That's how new missionaries were called. But sometimes it's a heavenly language that the spirit that's been placed in you cries out to God. Actually, it's in Romans 8.26. It says, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit intercedes for us through world wordless groans. Wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. So he's placed his whole, he's wanting to place his Holy Spirit in you so that the Holy Spirit can even pray for you when you don't know what to pray for. I love it. And wordless groans. I love that because there's some times that I'll get praying and it just, I mean, I'm opening up my mouth and then all of a sudden I just kind of, I, I don't know how else to pray. And all of a sudden these like groanings almost will start coming out of me and I will, my mind will immediately remember this scripture and I'll just like, Talk for me, Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, you know you're going to pray according. You know, I remember an old Carmen song. Remember Carmen? That, that dated me right there. Guy didn't even need a last name. He had just one name. Carmen. Everybody knew Carmen. He used the illustration that it's like a man praying, God, send me to Florida to witness to all the people on the beach. And then he starts praying in the Spirit. And the Spirit says, God, do not send him to Florida to the beach because he's got a lust problem. <laughs> Hello? The Spirit prays for us in accordance to God's will. He knows your heart. And he connects. So those wordless groans, I mean, I told the first service, Sometimes can be from like the depths of your innermost being and it just pours out. One time I was uh, running sound for a funeral for a two-year-old. And I didn't know the family at all. It was just somebody who was somehow acquainted with the church at that time. And so running the sound at the end of the funeral, they let everybody else out and they shut the doors so that the father and the mother and the immediate family could um, say their goodbyes before they closed the casket down. And I was in the sound booth wrapping things up and heard the moms, you know, step up to the casket. And all of a sudden this wailing came out of her that dropped me to the floor. I never heard a moan, wailing moan like that before. And I got, I mean, on my face right back in the sound booth and just started crying out to God because he immediately said, that's my heart toward those who turn their back and walk away from me. I lose my children. And I mean, I was just, and that sound when I close my eyes comes back to me and reminds me, this Holy Spirit in you, Longs, it says jealously. God longs jealously for the Spirit in you, and they commune together according to His will. So sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes out of you in an unknown language, it's that heavenly language that that Spirit and God only know, and they commune with each other. But again, 
It's not an uncontrolled thing. You still control whether your mouth opens or not. Now, we believe as Assemblies of God in our 16 fundamental truths, it stated the baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by the physical, initial physical sign of speaking in other tongues or speaking in an unknown language as the Spirit of God gives them utterance. What we do not believe is that a believer is to seek the evidence of speaking in tongues apart from the gift. What you're seeking is for the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit to be filled in you. And I'm going to give you reasons why you want that. One of the reasons do not include so that you can speak in tongues. That's just something that comes and is a personal. Actually, I think it was Paul that says, when you speak in tongues, it edifies yourself. It really does. I mean, I remember when I was um, young, I think I was only in third or fourth grade. And, of course, the pastor had a, you know, who wants to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I went up there. Well, these three or four old ladies kept me tarrying at the altar you heard the term Terry at the altar? It just means you're not going anywhere. And kept me pinned at the altar. When everybody else got to go to the fellowship hall and was eating, I could smell the food. And these old ladies had me down there, and a couple of them by the back of the neck, face in the carpet. You're not leaving until we hear the evidence of you being filled with the Spirit. And so one of them would say, say hallelujah, say hallelujah, say it 20 times real fast. You've got it. I'm like, got what? I said hallelujah so many times I forgot what I was saying. And finally, I'm like, can I just go? I'm tired. And Trudy, one of the old ladies, and ladies still alive today, I think she's like Methuselah. Anyway. <laughs> serious, because she was old back then. You should see her. Kind of reminds me of Yoda. Anyway, <laughs> she was walking me down back, you know, to the fellowship hall. And, you know, I don't remember exact words, but there was something like, you know, Brenda, do you know that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift? Yes. Did you ask for that? Yes. Do you believe God? Yes. So do you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Did he fill you if you ask him? Yes. She goes, then just thank him for that. And continue to thank him for that. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I don't remember if it was that night or a couple nights later, but I was up on the top bunk, Carrie was on the bottom bunk, and every night, you know, praying, you know, thank and I remember Trudy saying, you know, just thank and I said, Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. I really didn't even know what he was doing or what he would do. I just knew that, you know, I needed him. That's what the pastor said. And as I was thanking him, all of a sudden these words, I couldn't understand what I was saying. And so I started getting louder because I'm like, I think this is what the old ladies were talking about. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Carrie started kicking the bottom bunk. She's like, quiet. What are you saying up there? I said, I think I got it. She goes, well, keep it quiet. You're keeping me awake. <laughs> I didn't know it was just coming out. So when we pray for you, which we will at the end of this service, don't focus on the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's not the purpose. Focus on the gift that God's holding out to you and saying, do you want that? And I'm going to tell you why you want this. <laughs> and to focus on that. 
And the evidence will come. Maybe it won't come right here. Maybe it will come when you're in your bed. Maybe it will come when you're driving. If it does, pull over, please. Please. All right. So what does the Holy Spirit do? A.W. Tozer said, if you want to write great works to compare with those of Shakespeare produced, you would have to have the spirit of Shakespeare. The intellect of Shakespeare would have to enter your personality. Because if you or I would try to write, what shall I compare thee to a summer day? We would never get any further than that. If you want to compose music like Johann Sebastian Bach, you would have to have the spirit of Bach. Now, if we are going to reproduce Christ on earth and be Christ-like and show forth Christ, what are we going to need the most? We must have the spirit of Christ. If we are going to be the children of God, we must have the spirit of the Father to breathe in our hearts and breathe through us. That's what we must have, the spirit of God. God has called us to be holy, live holy as I am holy, be holy, which is completely humanly impossible without God. And he knew that. So he said, you know what? I'm going to have to take of myself, rip out my heart, and put it in them. I'll take of my spirit and offer it as a gift. Do you want this? And when we say, yes, we want that, his rightness in us gives us everything we need to fulfill all of his requirements Everything he calls us to do, everything he tells us to do, can be filled with God's Spirit in us. Apart from you, I can do no good thing. But with God, all things are possible. For time's sake, I've wrapped it into just kind of like the top four of what the Holy Spirit does. The first one is that the Holy Spirit reveals God to us. And again, for time's sake, I'm going to give you scriptural references. Please go back and read these. Um, I'm just going to mention them to you. But the Holy Spirit reveals God to us. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 14, part of that scripture says, So how should we know the very deep things of God? By the Spirit. See, He's the very deepness of God. He is the Spirit of God placed in us. So how will we know in the same way we know the thoughts of God? Because of the Spirit of God. Hmm. He reveals his wisdom to us, his thoughts to us, his plans for us, his will for us, all in his Spirit. He reveals God. The Holy Spirit reveals God to us. The next thing he does is he glorifies Christ by guiding us in all truth. The Spirit's called the Spirit of truth. He guides us in all truth. He glorifies Christ because in John 16, 12 through 15, Jesus says he takes of what is mine and makes it known to you. That's how he gets glory. He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability
ability to do and the ability to be. In uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Do you understand that power, that dynamite explosion within you, gives you the ability to be? How will they know that Jesus is who he said he is? By the Spirit in you. You will be my witnesses. And he also said, and I will give you the ability to do. How? By the Spirit in you. In Titus 2, 12 through 14, he teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. How can you live godly in this present age? I can tell you it's not something you can do on your own. It's only God in you. God's righteousness makes you right when he's in you. In you. The Holy Spirit is your seal and deposit. And in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, and again in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Again, in Ephesians You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So it's like you walk into the car lot and you, Latasha says, I like that car right there. I really like that car. And that salesman goes, show me the Money, baby. You ain't touching that car until you show me the money. But if Latasha walks in and says, here's the down payment, I want that car right there. They get that car and they pull it over here into a different parking lot and says, nobody touches this. This one is Latasha's. Right? That's right. (laughs) Glory, glory. I take that. Same thing. When you are given the gift of the promised Holy Spirit, he slaps a seal on you, that deposit guarantees your inheritance. All the resources of heaven now in this present age and when you get to heaven. It's a deposit guaranteeing. You have a written contract signed in blood. The Holy Spirit is not a pretty gift that you just set on the shelf and admire. Isn't that pretty? It's a gift. And you know, I mean, this is Christmas time, so this is a pretty good example. Do I have to really explain to you how to receive a gift? And what you should do with that gift next week, Monday? When people give you a gift, are you like, oh, isn't that pretty, and set it on the shelf? No, do you, you know what to do. But God, our Heavenly Father, gives us a gift, holds it out, and says, hey, I'm going to tell you everything that's in this package, but I'm going to hand it to you. Do you want it? What I just did is I told you everything that was in that package. 
He says, you want to know how to be right in this life? How to live holy as I tell you, you have to live holy? It's all wrapped up right here in this one gift. Do you want it? Um, does anybody carry money that they've set aside, prepared to be ready to give to somebody that's in need? Does anybody? Latasha, you have you set aside money? Oh, Dad does? It's easier for me to take from my daddy. You, you set it aside, and he's prepared to give it to somebody. So if... So if somebody who's taken a gift and set it aside... Is then directed to offer the gift to somebody else. And then comes back next week and says, Josh, that was my best gift. Dad, was that the best gift in your wallet? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was the only gift in his wallet. That was his best. And he offered it to you. And then next week he comes back and says, Josh, I gave you the best gift I had. What did you do with it? And Josh goes, oh, I saw it. And Pastor Brenna handed it to me. And I went home and I put it on the shelf. <laughs> and we look at it every day. <laughs> what? How can that bring glory to his heart? But did you know God gave you? He knew you were human. And you would not be able to live the holy life that he desires you to live. So he wrapped it all up. Wrapped his spirit up in a gift. Said it's all right here. And he reaches us out and he hands it to you and says, will you take it? And when we take it and we go, oh, that's so nice. And set it on a shelf. Do you know the Bible says you're going to be held accountable? Every one of us will have a day we stand before God and we have to give an account for what we were given. Not what sister so-and-so did to you and made you mad or brother did this and, or you wish if you would have only had this or if you would have No, he's going to make you give an account for what you have been given. And isn't it true, when you give a gift, even though it still sets in your hand, that's got Jody's name on it. This has got Sue's name on it. This has got Chris's name on it. So the gift is already yours. What did you do with it? Did you take it from my hand? Did you take it from me and open it up and walk it out and let it be all that it, I created it to be in you? Did you do that? You're going to have to give an account for that gift. But why do we struggle? I mean, I hear people all the time, well, I, you know, I've been trying to do this, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying, and I keep failing here, and I keep failing there. I, 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 I. Can you just hear God saying, hello? It's all right here. Stop struggling. It's all right here and it's all packaged up in a nice gift. And I even told you what's inside of it. Everything you need to have an abundant life.
here and in heaven is right here. Stop struggling and just receive it. So how do we receive receive this gift? How to be filled? <laughs> I like this. A.B. Simpson used this illustration of what it means in, in the picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's mind-boggling to think that God's Spirit is going to somehow be in me, be in you, be in you, be in you, be in me, be in me. Even just being in me. I mean, I don't even care about you guys. How, God, do you put your spirit in me? And A.B. Simpson said, being filled with the fullness of God is like a bottle in the ocean. You take the cork out of the bottle and sink it in the ocean. Now you have the bottle completely full of the ocean. The bottle is in the ocean, and the ocean is in the bottle. The ocean contains the bottle, but the bottle only contains a little bit of the ocean. So it is with the Christian. We are filled into the fullness of God, but of course, we cannot contain all of God, because God contains all of us. But we can have all. All of God that we can contain. I like that. So how can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, like A.B. Simpson said, you first got to present him with your vessel. Here it is. I like it. Um, Moody was the one that used to use this illustration. He had put a, a glass full of water on his pulpit. And say, how do I, in a pitcher of milk, and he says, how do I pour this milk into this glass full of water? He said, I first must pour out all the water and present the empty vessel to be filled with the milk. Same thing with us. First thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you got to present your, take the cork out. God, nothing else. I mean, what's the old songs? Nothing else compares. I don't want anything the world has to offer. Only you, God. And more and more and more of you. But he's got to have you. You have to present you. You say, well, if God wanted me to have it, he can bring it to me. Hmm. That's snubbing the gifter. Isn't it? Oh, you want to give me a gift? Well, you better bring it to me. Actually, if God wanted me to have this, if I needed this, he should have programmed me with it in the first place. Again, is he making robots? No. He made you in his image with choice, with will. I mean, if love has to be forced, it's not love. But he says, here it is. Everything you need right here. Do you want it? What do you got to do? You got to come to him. Second thing is you got to ask. Again, you can't just sit back. If you want me to have it, you better bring it to me, God. What would you say to your child that says that to you on Christmas morning? Uh, going to somebody else. That's where this gift is going, right? Or just open it up and have it yourself. In Luke 11, Jesus said, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You have to ask. 
So you need to present your vessel. And really, I think you need to have a time where, God, I just empty myself of all, all else, really, everything else. Because God does not want to be amongst many gods in your life. He wants to be the God in your life or Right? Present your vessel. Empty yourself out. Pour out the world. God, I want all of you. You have to ask. And the third, you must be obedient. In Acts 5, it says, We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. In John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands, and then I will ask the Father, and he will give you the Spirit. You can't be in willing disobedience and say, God, now go ahead and slap your seal on me and give me the deposit guarantee. He's like, what? It's kind of like trying to write the check with no money in the bank for the deposit. What? You must be obedient. All right, so as I close, in order to prepare to receive the Holy Spirit, and we're going to pray for those who have never been filled. Maybe you, you know, years ago you asked to be filled, but, you know, you walked away from the altar more confused than you came. Today is a new day. Uh, maybe you're actively filled and you know speaking in your unknown language, and you know you're guided, and you know you're led by the Holy Spirit. You know you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we're being poured out like a drink offering, like we're supposed to be to the altar for others, we continually need to be filled. The Bible encourages to encourages us to be being filled. It's kind of like the plug-in, well, like these lights right here. Okay, I'm not touching that plug. But anyway, how long will these lights stay on if I reach over and unplug it from there? Plug-in. How long will they stay on? No, you have to constantly be being plugged in to stay the light of Christ in this dark world. You can't say, yeah, when I was six years old, back around a campfire, we sung Kumbaya, and we were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, well, what's your experience since then? Well, nothing really. Something's wrong. Continually be being filled. Why? I gave you the reasons what the Holy Spirit does. Is there a better gift? No. Stop struggling in your faith. Kicking yourself in the hind corners over, you know, messing up here and messing up there. And I'll never, and I'm just, oh, I'm, 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 me, me, me. And start living with God's spirit in you. Let the boy put his heart in you. All you have to do is be ready to receive. So what I, can I just have you all stand up where you're at? And I ask the altar workers to come up, the prayer team to come up, and to get prepared. And I want us from old to young, from new Christian, not a Christian yet, to been a Christian with Methuselah, 
to come up. And I don't want anybody leaving because remember the Holy Spirit is a person. A person. And Jesus said everyone, every sin, sorry, every sin can be forgiven except for one. And that's when you grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know you can only grieve someone who is love? A parent knows that. You love your child so much and then the day they they say something to you that I hate you because you didn't give them that new phone for Christmas. You're grieved the core of your being. Why? Because you love that child. And you wanted to give good things. You thought you gave all you could to that child. And when they turned and spit you in the face because you didn't do what they wanted you to do, you're grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person that can be grieved because He loves. He is God's Spirit. And the gift is being offered to you right now. Here it is. All for you. Everything you need is wrapped up in this one gift. Do you want it? So as I pray for you, I want you to come up front. Again, if you've never been filled or been filled before, I want you to get prayed for. So let's just start moving now. Father, you know. Your word says that you searched our hearts. You know our hearts. You know what we need. And you put it all in a pretty package. And you kissed it and held it out to us and said, Here it is, my spirit, my heart, for you. All you have to do is ask. And so if that's you and you need to ask, come up front. Come up front. We want to pray with you. If you've been filled before and it's time for you to be refilled, throw up your hands. Get plugged back in. Be being filled. Be being filled. I want to encourage you to get into a posture of receiving right now. Of pouring out the water of this world so that he can fill you up with the Holy Spirit. And again, we're not encouraging you just so you can have the gift of speaking in tongues. We want to fill you so that you have the fullness of God in you. 